Little Johnny was on his way home from church, and he was very confused. In all his four years, he saw something that he had never seen before, because that morning at church, someone had gotten baptized, and Johnny just was full of questions for his parents as they drove home. Why did they do that? Why did they put that man in the water? Why was everyone crying? And then why did everybody clap? And why was everybody so happy when, when it was over? His mother did her best to explain in, in terms that a four-year-old would understand what baptism was all about. Well, the man was sorry for some of the things that he had done in his life, and he wanted to show God that he was sorry, and he wanted to promise God that he was going to try to do better. And so they baptized him. Johnny thought about that for a little bit. And finally, he asked the question that a four-year-old would ask. Why didn't they just spank him? When we ask the question, why do we do it like that? We realize that we have to address the question of baptism. The churches that make up the movement that we are a part of. As, a, as an independent Christian church, we are part of a larger group that is known as the Restoration Movement. And over the years, we have developed quite a reputation, and much of it centers around the issue of baptism. Why do we insist on baptism? Why do we insist on baptism by immersion? Why do we see baptism as something that is done at a, a point when a person is ready to make a commitment, done as a, a believer? Why do we see it as necessary? And the sad thing is, over the years... We have made baptism a divisive issue, where it is supposed to be something that unites us and brings, it together, brings us together. We have made it divisive, and we have, we have been known by those that we stand opposed to over the issue of, of baptism. That divisiveness has not escaped the world's notice, and that attitude of divisiveness is wrong. The reality is, those of us who have been longtime members of the Restoration Movement, we need to confess that in our desire to do things right, and in our desire to understand the Bible and understand baptism correctly, we've lost God's heart of, of grace for this act of, of grace. We've often lost God's heart. We have made it divisive. We have made it a test of fellowship. We have made it a, a test of faith. Rather, and rather than being inclusive in baptism, we have been exclusive. And while we have this desire to perform baptism correct biblically, I'm afraid we've missed the biblical purpose of baptism. Baptism is a unifying experience. It brings the church together and it unites us with God. We're going to look at one of the key texts in the Bible today on baptism. You'll find it in Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 36 through 41. If you would like to use those Bibles that we have in the seats in front of you, it is on page 910. We can encourage you to turn to those because we like to all be on the same page. We all like to, to be at the same text. Acts chapter 2. This takes place on the day of Pentecost, uh, which is very often viewed as the, the birth of the church. Jesus had told the disciples, wait in Jerusalem until I send the Holy Spirit and you, re you will receive power from on high. And so the disciples have been waiting and they've been in Jerusalem for 10 days waiting for the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes while they're meeting together. This rushing wind fills the room that, uh, that they're meeting in. Uh, they begin speaking in other languages, declaring the praise of God, and people notice there's something different about this group. There's something different about these people, and so they begin wondering what's going on. And Peter 
preaches the good news to them. He preaches that Jesus has come, that God has sent his Messiah. But in their sin and in their ignorance of what God was doing, they crucified the Messiah. And so they are confronted with their sin. And the question is, how do we respond? What can we do? And so we pick up the story there in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, where Peter says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. On that day, that birth of the church, baptism was a very appropriate response to the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And it continues to be an appropriate response today. I think one of the beautiful things about baptism, one of the beautiful things that baptism does for us is it gives us all a common starting point. How do you follow Jesus? What do you have to do to become a disciple of Jesus, to become a Christian? The people who listened to Peter were confronted by the reality that they had crucified Jesus. By their actions, they had sentenced the Son of God to death. And their response is, what shall we do? And Peter responds in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's a command there. In fact, there are two commands there. They both carry the same weight. There is a command to repent. That is to turn around. To, you were going this way with your life. Your life is now going to turn around and you are going to be moving towards God. There is a command to repent. And with the same weight, there is a command to be baptized. Both carry the same weight. And if we want to respond to Jesus, baptism is a part of that response. We can go back to the end of, of Matthew's Gospel, and there in the last few verses of Matthew 28, we find the Great Commission. Jesus' final marching orders for the church, what we're supposed to do in this world. He says in verse, Matthew writes in verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, and these are the words of Jesus, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's one command in that passage. That command is to make disciples. And the way that it's phrased, there are three things that we have to do if we're going to make disciples. First of all, we go to them. You've got to go where the disciples are, or go where people are. You go to them to make disciples. You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. You teach them what Jesus has told us to do. If someone wanted to be a disciple, you would not take them to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and say, well, 
you don't really have to repent. I mean, that, that's just for extreme people. <laughs> you, you don't have to repent. You know, that, that's not necessary. If someone wanted to be a disciple, we wouldn't take them to Matthew 28 and say, well, you don't really have to obey everything. It, that's not necessary. That's not part of, of being a disciple. You, you don't have to do that. No. Repentance is a part of being a disciple. Obedience is a part of following Jesus. If we were honest with ourselves, though, we don't all do a very good job of repenting. Sometimes I find myself repenting of the same thing over and over again. I don't know if you guys do that. Maybe it's just me, but sometimes I, I repent of things over and over again, and, and I, I just keep coming back to that once and again. And Sometimes I don't do a really good job of obeying Jesus, too. Sometimes I'm confronted with something I read in the Bible, and I just... I kind of pretend I didn't see it. You ever do that? Just like, ah, I didn't see that one. I'm just Maybe ignorance is going to get me out of it. I don't know. And sometimes that can be really a hard place for us to be because we realize I am just as miserable a sinner as I've ever been. You know, I'm repenting of the same things over and over again. I, I balk at, at obeying. Maybe I'm not really a Christian. Maybe I'm not really a disciple of Jesus because you know, I'm struggling with, the, with these sins. I'm struggling with obedience. And on the other hand, sometimes there are people that we look at and we say, that's a real Christian. That person's a real Christian. I'm, I'm nowhere near as good at them because they are so much better at being obedient than me. They are so much more obedient. They, they don't have nearly the sin problems I have, so, so they must be a real Christian and, and I'm not. We don't all repent the same way, and sometimes that's tough. We don't all, we're not all obedient the same way, and sometimes that's that's tough. But we're all as baptized. If you're baptized, you're just as baptized as anyone else. We had lunch this week with a, a group of preachers, and the guy who baptized me was there, and I overheard him talking to Steve, which scared me. And I've heard him say this a million times. I baptized him. I didn't hold him under nearly long enough. And that's a fun thing to say. But the fact is, baptized is baptized. And I may feel like a failure because of my need to repent. I may feel like a failure because I'm not always as obedient as I should be. But in baptism, I have confidence that I have done what God has asked me to do. It gives us a common starting point. And I like that because it means none of us have an edge over anyone else. None of us have received a special gold star that says, I'm a disciple plus. You know, I'm a platinum disciple. You know, I'm just a little bit better than other people. None of us can claim to be better because we're more saved, we're more worthy. All of us start at the same place. All of us start with baptism. Baptism gives us a common starting point. And along with that, baptism gives us a common clean slates. One of the questions and one of the issues we always get into is, well, what kind of baptism are we talking about? Are we talking about immersion? We go all the way under the water? Are we talking about sprinkling? Are we talking about pouring? Are we talking about baptizing adults? Are we talking about baptizing babies, baptizing infants? What kind of baptism are we talking about? And, and one of the, it's one of those matters where it's important to go back to the Bible and say, what do we see them doing in the Bible? What's the practice that we see in the Bible? And one of the things that we have to notice is 
this word baptize that we have, it's not actually an English word. It's what we call a transliteration. Someone took the Greek word, which looks like that, baptizo, and they said, let's just come up with an English word and, and, and make it sound like that. So they took the Greek word baptizo, they changed the letters, and we now have the word baptize. But if you were a Greek in the first century and you said the word baptizo, it only meant one thing. It meant to immerse, to take completely under the water. It doesn't mean sprinkle. It doesn't mean pour. So when the early churches of the Restoration Movement, churches like ours, wanted to build a movement where we could unify Christians and bring them together in unity and say, can't we all just get along? Can't we all come to some understanding? One of the things that they asked was, well, what do we see in the Bible when it comes to baptism? Now, every church, no matter what flavor, no matter what denomination, every church agrees that in the New Testament, in the first century, baptized meant to immerse. But for one reason or another, some churches changed their practice. And so the question was, well, why don't we just go with what we all agree with? We all agree it means immerse. Let's immerse. Every example we have in the book of Acts of people being baptized, every example of someone being converted, coming to Christ, that person is baptized upon their conversion. And every example, it's a believer. It's not a child. It is an adult who is baptized. And so let's practice this that we can all come together on, that we see in the Scriptures. Let's go back there. Every biblical response to Jesus is a response of, a bapt of baptism in response to the message of salvation. Not a rite performed on infants, but a response when a person is confronted with the reality of their sin. Peter says to the crowd, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I like things that are cut and dry. And there's times when my life is not very cut and dry. There's times when I feel so miserable for the things that I've done that have displeased God that I wonder, could I really be saved? Do you ever question that? You know, question, how could God forgive me? You know, look at my attitudes, look at my actions. How could God forgive me? But I choose to take God at His word. Beyond what I can do, beyond how I can be obedient, beyond how repentant I can be, I choose to take God at His word. And when I take God at His word, He says in Acts 2.38, if I do this, I can know for certain that I am forgiven. There's times when we doubt. There's times when we remember, I've done horrible things in my life. Can I be sure that God forgave me? If I take Him at His word, then yes. I can look back on the fact that I did this, He promised He would forgive me, and I can know I'm forgiven. Now, just to confess to you, I was baptized when I was 16, and in the years since then, 31 years, I think, I have maybe committed two or three sins during that time. Okay? Sorry. So every time I sin, do I need to get baptized again? You know, we, we ask every now and then about rebaptism, being baptized again. Do, do I need to go back and do that again because I've sinned, because I am confronted that I've done something wrong? What do I do now? Do I have to go back? You know, we would use that thing every I won't mind using it every weekend, but we would constantly be dunking people if that was the case. No, in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, uh, verse 3, Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus 
were baptized into his death. All of us who have been baptized into Christ, we have been baptized into his death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death, right? You remember that part? The wages of sin is death. If I sin, the penalty is death. I have to die because of my sins. But in baptism, I took on the death of Christ. In baptism, I appropriated Christ's death. I was buried with him in baptism. I rose in new life. The penalty for my sin was paid by Jesus. So I don't have to die again to that over and over again. So what about when I do sin once in a while? What do I do? 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, John says, if we confess our sins to him, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. By putting my sin to death in baptism, I am able to walk in new life. I am able to walk in a new relationship with God, a relationship of grace where he cleanses me of the things that I do that are wrong. And along with that common, clean slate, along with that common, clean slate, baptism gives us a common gift. One of the complaints that we in the Christian churches and churches of Christ often hear from other Christians and and other churches is that we put so much emphasis on baptism, we make baptism out to be a work heard that complaint about us before. And the Bible says we're not saved by works. And we put such an emphasis on this work of of baptism. And and so baptism isn't necessary because it's a work. Well, it's true. We're not saved by works. You go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Paul says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourself, it is a gift of God. It's God's gift. You didn't do it. Not by works, Paul says, so that no one can boast. No one can say, well, I deserve this. I earned it. I, I paid for it myself. I did it. I worked for it. So we, we can't be saved by works. But we're commanded to be baptized. Acts 2.38, we are commanded to be baptized. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, Peter says, and this baptism now saves you. Baptism saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body. It's not about the water. But the pledge of your heart to God. So if there's a command to do it, and if we're told that it saves us, can it be a human work? No, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a work. It is an act of grace. It is an act of, of receiving grace. But we would have to confess that in our attitudes and in our approach to baptism, sometimes we've made it a work. We've made it to be a work. For many of you who grew up in the Christian church, I am sure that at some point in your life, someone pulled you aside, as they did me, and they said, you need to be baptized. As though you were going to do this. As though it was up to you And you were going to get your salvation because you were going to do this. You need to be baptized. And they stressed that it was you that was going to do this. It's not about us. It's not about the water. It's about God's promise. It's about his gift to us. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells the disciples, stay in Jerusalem 
Stay in Jerusalem and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's Acts chapter 1. Ten days later, Acts chapter 2, verse 4, they're in an upper room. Suddenly this wind blows in. Flaming tongues of fire separate and, and, and go on each one of them. They, they begin singing the songs of praise. They begin declaring praise in different languages. They run out. Everybody sees this. Everybody hears this. And Peter declares the praise of God and then declares the good news that, of Jesus Christ. They realized something special was happening. And so Peter, the, the people ask Peter, what, what, what must we do? What must we do? And part of that, I think, has to be what do we have to do to have what you have? Obviously, you've got something different. You have something that we don't have. What do we have to do to have what you have? Peter didn't say, he did not say, wait 10 days. <laughs> Instead, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit you will have the very same thing that we have. One of the things that frustrates me about the teachings in, in some other churches, and I, and I don't like to be divisive, and I don't like to you know, complain, <laughs> but there are churches that teach people that you need something else. You need something else to be like us. and Some churches call it a a second work of grace or a second act of grace. I was reading some of the criticism of our, of our beliefs recently, and one woman wrote about us. She said, they have confused water baptism with real baptism. That's what she told people about us. And, and the implication there is, well, we have more than you. We have more understanding than you. We have a gift that you don't have yet. You are second-class Christians. You look at these men in Acts chapter 2. These apostles, these men who walked with Jesus, who lived with Jesus, who received a commission from Jesus, they freely offered to the crowd the very same power, the very same spirit that they had received. And 3,000 people accepted that on that day. In, Act, in Ephesians chapter 4, Verses 1 through 6, Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You realize when Paul wrote those words, baptism only meant one thing. Baptism only meant one thing. It wasn't a question of sprinkling or immersion. It wasn't a question of water baptism or real baptism. Baptism only meant one thing. And I don't say that to be divisive, and I hope you don't hear it as something divisive, because it's not. It's there to unify us. It's there to give us a common place to start. It's there to bring us together and say, you're the same as me. We've all gone to that water. We've all taken God at his word. We've all taken his promise, not only that he would forgive us, but that he would fill us with his spirit. 
that he would give us of himself. It makes us shares of the same gift, of the same promise. It makes us one. And that's why I think it's a great place for us to begin together. You and I have come from very different places with completely different problems, completely different sins that we need to repent over. I don't think yours are the same as mine. I hope they're not. But in baptism, we have a shared experience. We have a shared commitment to the Bible. It's not about me. It's about everything I can't do. And I choose to take God at His word. God tells me if I make this commitment to Him, if I do this, that He will forgive me. That He will give me His Spirit. I choose to trust Him and what He can do. And that shared commitment, as we make that together, that shared commitment binds us together and makes us one. I have just been, as I've worked through this sermon, I I have just been so moved by verse 40. It's almost as though I've never seen verse 40 in Acts chapter 2 before. And and all this week, I just find myself drawn to Acts 2.40 and I've been preaching it to just about everybody who'll listen. Luke writes this, And with many other words, he, that is Peter, with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. i got to tell you, people come to me with problems. People come to me with problems that I've never experienced. We've got a lot of people in our community and a lot of people in our lives who are dealing with a lot of things. This morning I get a message that a friend of mine is is dealing with something physically that, that I can't begin to understand. We've got people who are dealing with addictions, and I don't understand addictions. We've got people who are dealing with relationship issues. We've got people who are dealing with health issues. And I don't always know what to tell them. There's two things I can do, and and Peter does the same two things here. It says, with many other words, he bore witness. I can tell you that my life is not perfect, but Jesus Christ has made all the difference in my life. And I can tell you that when I finally accepted him, and and I went in the waters, I was going to point back here, but it was actually out in our parking lot where I was baptized. Uh, (laughs) When I made that commitment that night, something changed. And it wasn't about what I had done. It was about what God had promised he would do to me. Something changed. The direction of my life changed. I was not the same person when I came up out of the water. I can bear witness to that. The other thing I can do, and you can do also, it says Peter warned them, save yourselves from this crooked generation. This world is crooked. This world is bent. This world is confusing. This world has no answers. And wherever you're looking for answers, they're just going to turn you sideways. They're going to turn you around. So you don't know which way is up, which way is down. You don't know what's right and what's wrong. They're saying it's all gray and we can't be sure of this or that. Peter says, save yourself from this crooked generation. If you're looking for answers in this world, in this generation, you're not going to find them. You're going to find them in Jesus Christ and only in Him. What can you do today You can come. You can be baptized. 
I can't explain it because I've seen the way the baptistry is filled. It's just plain old water. <laughs> but you will meet Jesus in this act. You will receive forgiveness because I take God at his word and he says that. You will receive his Holy Spirit. You will not leave the same person. You can be baptized. You can meet Jesus here and it will change everything. Maybe today's the day you make that decision. Maybe today's the day when you say, I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. I'm tired of trying to find answers somewhere else. It is time for me to decide to follow Jesus. We would love to welcome you. We would love to baptize you. We are ready. It is full. It is ready to go. Once you come as we stand and sing.